Welcome to Career Ruins, where this week it's our birthday. Yay! <laughs> Happy birthday, mate. Happy birthday. One year. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I'll be honest, it feels like longer. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking absolute nonsense for 365 days and counting. So can you remember the the rough date when we first sowed the seed of starting a podcast? It's got to have been, I think it was February, early February? I think I remember where we were. We were in Naked Coffee, the library cafe at BU, and we were just chatting about how we just wanted to have more fun in life, and mm. we decided to do a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we, well, uh, the general thought, if I remember rightly, was that we wanted to make something that was accessible and um, mm. that perhaps targeted younger people, so people that might want to do a degree in archaeology, or that um, uh, the are currently doing a degree in archaeology and make them realise how people have got into the profession and other bits and bobs. Really, it's not as clear-cut as everyone might think. Yeah, I think that's right, because we're so lucky in our own careers and that we have so many people in our lives who have interesting stories to tell. And being able to put a a platform together where we could tell as many interesting stories about all these cool people we know and meet, it just seemed like such a a great plan. I think that was it, wasn't it, as well? Because we do meet a lot of cool people and a lot of interesting people, and we are friends with some pretty cool people um so we're hoping to be able to share that and we've got a bit of a treat today because we've got we're going to reflect on a few of our favorite moments um we've got a few of our co-hosts dropping in i think the first one will be harry uh harry manley who did episode eight i believe um and then anna ron borgner will be coming back as well um but we've also got a few surprise guests and whilst lockdown's been a bit of a pain because we were meant to be bagging some really cool interviews um, during this period um, in person. What's really good is that we can get some cool people just dropping into a chat now, I guess. I know, we can have a, a bit of a birthday party. I know a few months ago when we were planning a birthday, we were thinking of all sorts of things like live episodes, big group episodes but being able to just sit down with zoom turned on and have a bit of a chat to some cool people seems like a great plan absolutely absolutely so this is our 22nd podcast um, in 12 months Uh, have you got any stats that you can roll off to back that up I do. I've got a few key stats. Over 5,000 listens in the year we've been online, which I think is quite good considering <laughs> it's a niche podcast about archaeology careers. <laughs> um, and those listens have been over 51 countries, in, not including some others. So I'd like to say hello to our listener in Indonesia. Um, it's just really nice to know that not just people in the UK, but people around the world are listening in. And some of those countries have some quite big listens. And one final stat, our most popular episode to date, and there's probably no surprise here, is our first episode with over 500 listens so well done jenny you are the most popular interviewee so far and it's entitled career in ruin so uh, that's pretty good that's pretty good um do you have a favorite episode (laughs) or a favorite moment Oh, I think I've been, I've been thinking a lot this morning about key highlights. And one for me was the CBA special. I really enjoyed actually taking career in ruins on the road. But a moment that kind of sticks in my mind personally is the first interview I ever did. And it was actually used in episode two, I think, with Christian Horn. And I remember sitting, we were at my friend Rich's house in Sweden. 
and we'd just been up most of the night playing video games and we decided first thing in the morning was the best time to do the interview so we both sounded a little bit groggy and a little bit sleepy but it was the first interview I did and we were at that point we had no idea if the podcast would work if it would be interesting if anyone would listen and I remember listening to it back and thinking actually we could be onto something here that was that was quite interesting so that's probably two of my biggest highlights I've got a few others but how about you Lars? Um, I, do you know, I really enjoyed linking up with the Council for British Archaeology, doing our grand day out in London, meeting so many cool and inspiring people and, um, and sort of the precursors to that meeting up with Richard Osgood, who was just like a thoroughly good bloke and interest, fascinating individual. Um, so that was really good. And then just some, some of the, um, the interviews as well, the, the slightly less, um, traditional archaeologists, I guess, in this, in, I say traditional inverted commas, the, the, the ones that haven't necessarily gone down the academia route. So, Steve Trowe had a fascinating, mm. um, fascinating sort of history of his career, and um, and Mark Bowden as well. He was, I quite enjoyed his his chat as well. Yeah, something I think I I took particularly early on when we were doing it was it was really enjoyable to get to know colleagues better people I've known for years and worked with it turns out I barely know what they do and what their careers and ruins are so getting the chance to sit down with colleagues for for 20 minutes to half an hour and just chat about how they got to where they are what they did their background and their ongoing research was a really eye-opening experience and one of the the biggest joys for me personally of of doing this whole thing you're absolutely right and yeah I mean Colin Richards was the the key one on that so I think episode I forget which episode it is a a career in the Neolithic um, maybe episode 13 something like that um he he talked through how he got into archaeology and he was a tv repairman till his mid-20s and then he taught himself archaeology in an open university course or open college course and then got into a a, a master's thing found a neolithic settlement during his phd and is now one of the eminent researchers in (laughs) stone circles and neolithic settlements which is brilliant yeah all these wonderful different routes that people across the board come to this random boutique subject and find a home and find a career and find a life. It's uh, maybe we should have called the podcast life in ruins. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, <laughs> it's really great to see. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I quite, I don't know about you. Uh, you, you probably didn't enjoy this because you weren't here for them, but uh, I quite enjoyed having <laughs> guest speakers as well. I know you've been much, much better at carrying on the podcast in my absence than I have in yours. I was, I was looking forward to you going off to the Cook Islands this year. Do you, hang on. Do you go to the Cook Islands? Have I mentioned <laughs> I worked in the Cook Islands? Yeah, I was looking forward to you going off this year so I could get Harry in, get Anna in, get some co-hosts in and sort of try and catch up a bit. Yeah, well, they should be joining us at some point. Both <laughs> <laughs> what we got hey, hey. <laughs> here he is here he is <laughs> right on cue well, guys <laughs> was that a manly trump it was, it was indeed yeah yeah well that's, that's <laughs> <an unreal thing. laughs> oh, I love absolutely love it happy birthday guys oh happy thank birthday. you thanks harry it's been a oh, while how are you getting on yes yes i'm good thank you i'm very good um ensconced in my now office at home so home working is uh is a new thing but it's um mm. it's a challenge but it's good fun actually um yeah reflecting on just as enjoyable just listening to you guys there just talking about the past year and what you've been up to and who you've been speaking to it, it, it's been a fast year and so many things have changed haven't they but 
you've done some great stuff and spoken to some really really interesting people so yeah well done good. to you have you managed to listen to more than half an episode or i've just... only listened to myself so, <laughs> yeah. so, so. <laughs> of that episode harry what's your what's your favorite bit <laughs> oh, uh, the interview definitely the interview which doesn't have me in there. <laughs> um i'm pretty sure andy brown who was in a episode later on um uh, a career in the making i think he uh, he messaged to say his favourite bit was you talking about Wreck It Ralph. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I oh, must admit that. So I was just going to say that's one of my all-time favourite shift changes in a, any episode <laughs> we've done. You talking about Wreck It Ralph brilliantly, and then Lawrence coming in with a very deep and meaningful chat about mental health issues. It was well, such a switch. It was amazing. That's what this uh, podcast is all about, isn't it? Different shades of grey, like the light yeah. and the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Something for everyone. Um, so, what's the last year brought for you, Hazza? The last year for me, um, well, fun fantastic amount of field work last summer which i know we shouldn't be talking about now because um, we're all itching to get out uh but what have we done i've been to greece i've done a lot of work in the uk um and really really just enjoying working and teaching um and developing my own research interests so it's been a bit of a year of change but also really defining what what moving forward which i what i really can get into um, and get my teeth into rather than being a bit of a magpie and flitting around for one I think we're guilty of this as well and getting excited by many different things and saying right okay now's the time to knuckle down and just focus on a few few research ideas um, and and get them nailed really fantastic so skipping over this period of isolation what's what does your career in ruins look like 2021 post-covid post-covid uh i think i think back to greece that would be that would be a good idea um um, i've got a drone or a uav so i'm I'm taking the uh, license to fly that commercially so a lot more remote sensing i'm using using drones which would be would be a good avenue to explore and develop um yeah so that'd be sort of remote survey really i think that would be my my focus for 2021 and this uh this is a good opportunity to get the head in the books as well, isn't it? To, to uh, start reading and focusing on a few things. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, any stories stuck out to you this year, Harry? Any, um, any news pieces, any discoveries? No? No. Nope. <laughs> um, I, I just remembered what I wanted to ask you, actually, because we never asked you about the time machine. Ah, and, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What yeah, part yeah. of our promos when we first started... Um, what made me realise the podcast was viable was when you and I sat in the fusion room at Bournemouth University and you didn't know I was recording you and we were doing a mock-up interview <laughs> yeah. and you did a brilliant um, time machine. Can you remember what that was? I was. I was thinking about this earlier, actually, and it still stands for, for, for you know, what any, any time, any place I could go back to, I think that would be it. What was it? And the great, well... Uh, the great thing about a time machine is you're going back, not necessarily to participate in anything. You know, it's a great concept. Where would you go back and why? Where would you go back to and why? And it's a great concept because effectively we're, we're becoming voyeurs, aren't we? We're going back just to observe some seminal moment in history or, or prehistory. And for me, I would love to go back to the Battle of Hastings. Okay. Simply, uh, sim- yeah. simply because... Just to be there, I wouldn't change history. I wouldn't 
wouldn't um, interfere if you like. You wouldn't call out to Harold or anything like that. Say to Harold, if you could. <laughs> Harold! <laughs> Don't look up. Look down at your feet. No. <laughs> just... What if he looks up to see you shouting Harold yeah. and then he gets shot in the eye? <laughs> oh, well, nothing would have changed. It's just the, the, the classic the paradox. Maybe yeah. you caused it. <laughs> maybe, you caused it. God, maybe, maybe I've already gone back in time. No, we're all Normans <laughs> because of Harry. <laughs> no, I, I think. I think going back and just observing that, the interesting thing, of course, is that probably people didn't realise that, that the wider battle carried on afterwards. It was just a, just the fact that he'd been shot at the time. So his close retinue would, would realise he'd been shot and injured, um, but the battle would have waged on. So it, it would be interesting just to go back and then maybe, I don't know, revisit 10 years later, 50 mm. years later, and just see that changing, um, changing nature of the country, really. Mm. That's that, yeah. So Battle of Hastings, we. Right? I was about to thank you for a job, Harry, because if you hadn't got Harold bumped, then uh, William wouldn't have become King of England. <laughs> then there wouldn't be Nova Foresta, and then I would, there wouldn't be a national park, and oh. then I it wouldn't be an archaeologist. <laughs> Well, no, you, would, well. you wouldn't be able to go and visit the Rufus Stone, would you? <laughs> so that that moment in time where Harry called out to Harold to look up has changed the world for the better. <laughs> do, you, do you want to know a secret? Not- but before before I, when I started at Bournemouth University, I was driving like what this is two thousand and five, driving up the A thirty one, and I saw a sign for Rufus Stone, and I uh, I just assumed it was some sort of trading supply company, <laughs> motorway service station. No, no, like <laughs> you know, like um, people that sell timber or um, things like oh, that. Oh, I see. <laughs> so Rufus Stone timber merchant. <laughs> I no I always used to think it would. Uh, I thought it would be a great name for an indie band, but I think it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a movie. Actually, I think it's been turned into a film, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, little indie film. Quite yeah. an interesting one, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There we go. So, in fact, that's what that's what I have been reflecting on as well. When, um, during this period of of isolation, it's archaeology in films. Oh. So it's it's quite Wreck-It an interesting Ralph. topic. Wreck It Ralph. Well, <laughs> tenuous, tenuous. I take it. Thank you. And, and actually, it's Wreck It Ralph two, not uh, not the original. Oh, sorry, my mistake. Yeah, point of order there. Um, so apart from the obvious uh, archaeological films, such as uh, Indiana Jones, arguably, and uh, Tomb Raider, <laughs> I've been looking at more sort of more films which have got archaeology in it. Apart from films about archaeology and i came across a couple one of them which is called pimpernel smith and uh, which is based upon the scarlet pimpernel but the other one is uh, planet of the apes which is fantastic it's got a fantastic scene of uh stratigraphy and people describing stratigraphy which i thought i'd get a clip out and show to our students derek if you've uh, if you fancy having a look at that that sounds brilliant harry and just one fine <laughs> final note on that i discovered the other day that the game civilization 5 has archaeologists in it it's one of the ways you can win a cultural victory and actually managed to stop a friend of mine winning by capturing his archaeologists he was furious <laughs> he was furious so archaeologists have become pawns in a wider political uh, struggle have they they have indeed yeah oh. they are the, the cultural warriors <laughs> <laughs> i like it i like it hey guys we've got our first guest Hi, Chloe. Hello, how are you? Hey, Very Chloe. Good. Hi. Chloe Duckworth, how are you? I'm good. Um... <laughs> Can we mute I'm, Harry? I'm here all week. Feel free to leave whatever you want. 
<laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> I'll close that now. <laughs> Sorry, Chloe, how are you doing? I'm fine. My ears are ringing a little bit. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm currently hiding underneath a duvet. Uh, so that I can try not to include all the background sounds of my house. I just thought that was an outcome of the uh, lockdown. Everyone's just been stuck in their house. And then as, as things become looser, I'm hiding under my duvet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it has many advantages. <laughs> Welcome to Career in Ruins. Thank you. I'm so this very is, happy to be here. This is our second attempt at getting you on, isn't it? After a slightly aborted... Uh, <laughs> interview recording some time ago yeah i had a really long lovely chat with lawrence um, about hundreds of things and then at the end it didn't record properly and, and i think we both just sort of went oh well <laughs> well <laughs> i'll see you at some point in the next year oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're here for our birthday spectacular yeah happy birthday i won't sing i've got a terrible singing voice <laughs> oh thank you so much for joining us though really appreciate it you're welcome thank you all right so Welcome to Career in Ruins. We've kind of queued up a, a couple of questions for you, Chloe. Um, the first one really is, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a question we're going to ask all of our guests today, is what are you up to at the moment? What does, what does a career in isolation look like for, for, for Chloe Duckworth? Well, apart from hiding under my duvet, <laughs> I'm, I'm still working. I'm not on furlough, so I'm working mm -hmm. from home. I'm a lecturer, so I'm preparing lectures and communicating with students and currently doing quite a lot of marking as well. Mm. But on top of that, I have an eight-year-old son. So there's also homeschooling going on and uh, various pets who create all sorts of chaos around us. So it's, it's a really busy time. In spite of being sort of weirdly lonely, it's also really busy. Mm. It's quite bizarre, isn't it? The amount of, of work that still flies our way at the moment is, is quite good fun. I must admit, I, I, I I've got a new, I've always had a huge amount of respect for you, but I've got a newer, grander respect for you as of yesterday when I attempted to, um, I got given the task of recording a hands-on segment for a video lecture and I thought, I'm going to take a leaf out of Chloe's book and do it as a, a fancy kind of trying to be interesting, trying to make a good online video. And it was exhausting and it took hours and it, and it just turned out terrible, terribly. And I looked back at some of your Archaeoduck stuff and it just blew my mind how, A, how much effort that must have been, but also the, the quality of it. Um, so are you managing to get any of that stuff done in isolation? Oh, thanks. That's so nice of you. Um, well, I think, I think you know, it, it does take a lot of time um, to produce, say, a five-minute video, which is usually mm. what I aim for. It, it takes so long. And it's it's planning it it's i think it's also trying to make trying to pull out what's really interesting and really important which is is in a way a gift when you're editing you can cut stuff out on a video blog whereas right now you know whatever waffle i say it's it's going to go in there isn't it but uh, <laughs> i think you know it's 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 great i love it i've really really been wanting to do more archaeoduck for a long time mm. and a lot of circumstances have got in the way of that and i thought with lockdown yeah maybe this is my chance and i'm still hoping um that that a time I will have the time to do that. I've got a few ideas in the bag. I was thinking of doing a song about archaeological theory. That could be fun. Uh, <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> so we should we should say Chloe is a lecturer at Newcastle University, um, and Derek and I have been friends with her for quite some time now. We've been fortunate enough to work together out in Spain on um, the Madna Al Zahara project. Is that right? Is that lots of lots of project title, Chloe? It's good that you know the title of the project. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, not about I think the that's 
That's because Lawrence works on so many exciting foreign projects. He's like, oh, I don't remember the names of the next one. Yeah, it's Madinat al-Zahra survey project, which we've been running for a few years now. And that's doing um, geophysical survey and geochemical survey of a 10th century um, city in southern Spain. And it's, it's just the most beautiful place. And um, these guys have, you know, you, you Lawrence and Derek, you, you've been there, you know how mm-hmm. stunning it is and how amazing it is to work there. It's, it's a dream archaeology, really. A lost city, hidden city. That's it. It's spectacular. So as well as these amazing projects that Chloe's does through her work, she's also got her own YouTube channel where uh, she does um, sort of amazingly engaging, very popular um, sort of guide, guide, guidance videos for young, young kids. Is that right, Chloe? Yeah, what are they really? Um, I think I think they're, they're they're sort of for young adults and or, or or adults who are not kind of familiar with archaeology. And yeah, they're supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be brief and informative. I, I think the aim behind it really was I think there's there's a lot of desire out there from people to engage with archaeology and to understand it. And I think sometimes we can end up being kind of gatekeepers of our discipline in that we we keep our specialist jargon, we keep our terminology and our techniques to ourselves. And I wanted to kind of bring those out there for people and say, look, you know, this is, this is how we come to archaeological conclusions. So don't listen to pseudo-archaeology. Don't listen to people who, who come up with easy, obvious-seeming answers. There's a lot of work and research that goes into this. But actually, here are some of the tools that you can use to, to go ahead and do that yourself. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And they're, they're hugely popular from what I've seen on your figures and they go down very well. And, um, but as well as that, this amazing, these amazing videos and your amazing research work, more recently, I saw you on More 4. Yes, the Great British Dig. Um, sorry, I, it took a second there because the name changed while we were filming it. Um, <laughs> it. It was originally called the Great Big Dig, which I thought was a bit of a... Uh, that, that, <laughs> Well, I, I'm glad they changed it. And, uh, but it was it a was fantastic experience. Um, working in TV, it's totally different. And it was, it was insanely busy. You know, there are people everywhere. There are loads of people behind the scenes, archaeologists and volunteers. There are the local people who we're working with. There is the film crew who are fantastic. And then there are the archaeologists and, and Hugh Dennis presenting it as well. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a kind of organized chaos and it's fantastic. And you have a week of filming and your adrenaline's through the roof. And then you have this sort of calm down period afterwards, hoping to do it again. Superb. So is there any official news on the future? Well, I can't say anything at the moment, but I'm hopeful that that might, something might happen. So oh. yeah, I'm, I'm just holding my breath at the moment. Well, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Oh, brilliant. It well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. I must say, yeah, it's nice to see archaeology back on the screens, kind of being done in a proactive, sort of cutting edge, frontline manner. Really, really, really good to see. Um, we've got another question. Um, Final question, I guess, for you, Chloe, before we sort of drift off into casual banter. Um, uh, we thought, seeing as how your first interview was a bit aborted, that we'd revisit the, the question of the time machine and just where you'd go if you had had a one single return trip in the career in ruins time machine. Thanks. I, I love this. Um, I love this question. I, I've thought about this a lot, and I, it's the first time you, Lawrence sort of sprung it on me and I said, oh, uh, <laughs> which was a, a rubbish answer for podcasts, let's face it. Um, but I was, you know, originally I thought I'd love to go back to something like the Mesolithic because we have so few material remains um, from that time. I'd love to go back and see what it was like. But then I thought about it a bit more and I thought, well, it, 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 would, be, it would be actually really interesting 
to go back to a period that we feel quite familiar with. And I, I was thinking about this and I thought, well, there's the Romans. That's maybe a bit obvious. Do you know what we learn a lot of in schools? In, as far as I can tell, UK primary school, the first 10 years is like, is like science and the Tudors. I, I think that's, and it's, you know, so you grew up with this idea of this um, sort of early modern period of being really familiar. And also that's a period that people don't tend to associate with archaeology as much because they associate it with history. But as we know, you know, material culture tells its own stories, whatever period you're looking at, and that includes historical ones. And I think it would be fabulous to go back to a period that seems really familiar in our sort of our contemporary narratives and in our imaginations. If I say Tudor, if I say Henry VIII, I think an image springs to everyone's mind. I'd love to go back and see what it was actually like, see what it smelt like, see how people interacted, just see those intangible things that we can't really glimpse through history and archaeology. That's an amazing answer. And I, I must admit, I, I agree with that sort of sentiment of going somewhere a bit more recent historical. I've been working the last couple of years on a, a medieval site in the UK, and it spans the Norman conquest. And when you look to, to archaeology for that period, it tends to be the story of kings and queens, it's the nobility, it's the top end. And kind of archaeology wow. gives us that, that window into the into the everyday life of, of everyday people, but actually being able to jump in a time machine and go and see it would be incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's the wonderful advantage of a time machine, isn't it? I think sometimes I used to think to myself, if there was, oh, if I could just travel back in time, I could just finish this paper, I could just have a bit more time on my work. And then I thought, what are you doing? If you had a time machine, you could go and see what it was really like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, get, we get so wrapped up in our own little kind of, our, our, our own sort of process, I think. But that's, yeah, experiencing the past. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? That's pretty good. See, I always thought I'd like to go to Madinat al-Zahara because um, that palace and that, that settlement is just so beautiful, even today, and the, the quality of the remains that just lie around on the, on the surface. Um, in its heyday, it must have been something absolutely spectacular, spectacular to behold. Um, so when, I just whenever we were walking around your site and doing our survey work, I always thought, oh, I'd love to see this when it, as it was. Well, that would be amazing as well. I mean, it's this site, you know, I know it's, it's not well known. Um, they, they've excavated the palace and that's available to the public to go and look at. But the rest of the city is, is really just under the ground and it's only our survey that's revealing any of it. And I think the other thing about it is it's early. It's Islamic architecture. It's from the period when there was Muslim rule in Spain. It's Islamic architecture, but it's not the kind of later stuff. People might visit the Alhambra, where we've also worked. Just drop that in there. Um, <laughs> they might visit the Alhambra in Granada, which is very ornate. Um, it's incredible. It's beautiful. But Madinat Azara was from a period when it, it was a little simpler. And it was just so, so simple and exquisite in its beauty. And the, the closest thing you can come to that is the mosque in Cordoba, which I'd also recommend people to visit. But yeah, I think there must, be, there must have been something incredibly atmospheric about that location. It's, it's at the foot of the hills. It's got a view out onto a valley. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's stunning. We all love it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Chloe, we've just, just to uh, just cut in slightly, we've just been joined by Chris Jones from Northumberland National Park. He's the, uh, the archaeologist there. So he's our next guest who's joining us. Hiya, Chris. 
Hi, Lawrence. How are you doing? Good. Cheers. Welcome to the podcast. Um, just before we carry on, Chloe, do feel free to hang around. Thank you so much for uh, joining us in the podcast today. Um, you feel free to stay and ask Chris any questions. I know he's only down the road from you. In uh, you're in Newcastle, so you're not far from the uh, the national park there. Um, but thank you for joining us, Chloe. No, thank you. And I, oh, I love it there, by the way. It's beautiful, beautiful. Um, I'm, I am going to go because I'm getting a bit hot under my duvet. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy listening to the rest of the podcast. See you guys. Cheers, thank Chloe. You, Chloe. Bye-bye. Bye, Chloe. Chris, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad, thanks. I've, um, yeah, I've kind of gone up to my, uh, my upstairs. I've got, uh, again, two very small children. Um, and uh, as, as anybody, <laughs> parents of small children, all there. Uh, I'll tell you, it's not uh, it's not the easiest. Oh well, I, I, well done on, on ticking on so well and finding a quiet space and time to join us. And welcome to the podcast. Yeah, um, welcome, and it's very nice to meet you, Chris. I, for one, am familiar with the two children downstairs uh, issue. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, good to meet you too, um, and thanks for having me, guys. Well, uh, you're, you're more than welcome. And just for people that don't know you, so Chris is the archaeologist or cultural heritage lead for Northumberland National Park. Official title is Historic Environment Officer. And, and so Northumberland, for those people that listen, because we, we were just recapping at the beginning of this and saying that we've got people in countries all over the place listening in, um, give us a quick breakdown of where Northumberland National Park is and um, um what people might expect to find it from a cultural heritage or historic environment point of view. Yeah, um, a, a kind of rapid overview, I guess. Well, we've got 405 square miles of, uh, of landscape and um, we've got just about everything, really. I mean, one of, um, I, I guess, looking at diversity of archaeological remains, you know, we, we do really kind of have an awful lot there. We've got uh, again, the usual range of remains over kind of 10,000 years. We've got some uh, some interesting prehistory. It might not be as visually stunning to what uh, others are, are kind of looking at. You know, our, our hill forts are kind of small but perfectly formed and quite complex. <laughs> um, we've got, um, obviously, Yevering Bell is one of those main sites that we have. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of one of my favourites, um, and, and it's this... Uh, fantastic site that kind of commands this whole landscape and um, again you can look at uh, the whole range of kind of human history and activity that's gone gone along with that way back into prehistory it's been such a significant such a significant site mm. um, you know we've got long cans but we perhaps don't have the kind of long barrows that um, you kind of have elsewhere um, but um, but they are kind of smaller um, and tend to be uh, again a lot. Uh, the height is a, they're a lot lower, they're a lot shorter, um, but they're the same kind of principles that apply. So, um, and we have everything again. So you're going back from the Neolithic um, through to a, a significant kind of Bronze Age presence. A lot that we still don't know. Uh, we've not had huge amounts of excavation. So I think Northumberland National Park has that kind of undiscovered or, or kind of um, relatively kind of poorly understood quality about it. So it's, it's a perfect place to be an archaeologist. 
Excellent. Mm, and you got a sizable chunk of Hadrian's Wall, or a, a, a nice chunk of Hadrian's Wall in the park? I, I could say we have the best bit of Hadrian's Wall, <laughs> if, uh, if I was being kind of uh, picky really there, but um, we do, we do. I mean, the central section of Hadrian's Wall is that bit that's in the National Park. Um, it's really interesting, the story of the National Park, uh, and we're, um, we've just had our 64th birthday. Hey, happy um, birthday. Happy birthday, Northumberland. Um a little bit older in the podcast there but um we um, um we obviously we, we yeah 64 years um we um we kind of piggybacked onto existing kind of preservation orders and this was the roman wall and vallum um kind of preservation area um and that was pre-existing that's been there for 20 30 years before Northumberland national park existed so that forms the southern boundary so we um we have probably one of the best Roman sites in Vindolanda, um, which is just within the National Park. That's kind of at the southern uh, tip of the National Park. And um, and all the areas, you know, north of that. So not just the wall itself, but um, Housestead's Roman Fort is, is within our area too. And, uh, and, and again, that outstanding landscape where you've got this wind sill this it's it's this the, the dolerite that that forms this kind of scarp and dip appearance which almost certainly attracted adrian and and, and the roman builders there so um it, it's really significant from a landscape point of view and not just from an archaeological point of view but we do have you know some some fairly uh, significant parts of the World Heritage Site within our national park. Oh, that's superb. Um, this is a question I could probably have asked Lawrence months ago, but I decided to save it till we've got someone from a national park that's been around for a few years. Um, <laughs> um, what, what, what sort of impact does this, this period of lockdown have on somewhere that kind of, I guess, draws a lot of finance and interest from visitors and people coming out to see it? I mean, does, is, is there a huge impact on it? national park and how you curate archaeology and heritage there at the moment yeah and it is i mean there is an impact and the the impacts will be felt differently across the kind of different national parks as well um although we are all part of the uh, government kind of family of national parks as, mm. as a kind of defra body um we uh, the, basically what's happened in national parks is um, the kind of government grants, like with a lot of other organisations, have been getting smaller over recent years. And we've had to think quite creatively in terms of how we get our funding. Uh, we've been much more commercially minded, much more enterprising. Um, but of course, that has big risks. And at the moment, we're seeing a, a, a huge um, impact on tourism in national parks which has a significant impact on, on the funding of, of the work of national parks themselves. So um, it, it will be felt differently uh, depending on some of those more popular areas. Obviously looking at, uh, you know, the Peak District and, and the Lake District that have, um, you know, huge volumes of tourists that are going to descend on them uh, year by year. Um, perhaps not quite felt to that scale in Northumberland that, that isn't as, as well visited. Um, but we will see, for example, in the Hadrian's Wall area, where people would come and they'd spend money in the local businesses, in, in, in the pubs, the B&Bs, the visitor centres, the cafes. Um, there's clearly going to be a very significant knock-on effect um, because we are, we, we are sort of linked for, uh, with tourism and, and, and income generation 
uh, which isn't which isn't happening, yeah. uh, and that has a knock-on effect on staffing and um, the ability of uh, ability of, of colleagues to to kind of go and actively conserve, enhance, and, and, and research the archaeology in the past. That's really interesting. So, sort of turning that on its head slightly, do you think there'll be any lasting positive outcomes of this period? I know, thinking, looking around at pollution nationally, we see an overall drop and, and things like that. So, there are, there are some positives to lockdown. And I'm wondering if there is any in sort of the context of a national park. I think in some cases, um, one of the things that we do have is we're always kind of conflicted in some senses with wanting to promote the archaeology and these really positive experiences and conservation. So there may well be kind of benefits in terms of managing our landscapes, not just um, a, a kind of extended period of lockdown where um, there isn't the kind of visitor pressure out, mm. out there. Um, so there will be some impacts. Obviously, there will be um, the, the, there'll be potential benefits. We're seeing all sorts of benefits in terms of climate change and our climate uh, as, a, as a result of the lockdown more broadly. Um, one of the things we're looking at, though, is that these are farmed landscapes and kind of farming with the, are very much the kind of key workers, particularly kind of upland farms, kind of mm. key in terms of food production. Um, so there's a lot of business as usual going out there, which um, then there's, there's, there's the potential for kind of, you know, uh, issues that, that, that where we're not kind of monitoring the, um, the kind of effects of, of, of some of these areas. But um, that's, I mean, to me, that's probably a relatively minor point. I mean, we kind of try and have, you know, good relations with our landowners and with our estates and we work together. Um, particularly at the moment where we're, you know, again, it's completely bizarre. We're actively discouraging people from visiting national parks at this time, which kind of runs contrary to our purposes yeah, yeah. and our reason for being. Um, so it's really strange times at the moment. And I guess we won't really know what um, what the kind of benefits and disadvantages have been until we were able to kind of look back and uh, and kind of, you know, consider them. Hmm. Uh, what, what's a real shame is that um, we were meant to have our National Parks Archaeology Meters officers or Heritage Officers meeting uh, this coming month, weren't we? And I was hoping to grab you and a load of other archaeologists and have a sit down round table with that. But what, what would be really good to do is dig into a, bit, a lot more of these subjects, a bit more going forth. So we'll definitely get you back for a further chat. I'm just going to quickly um, bring in Anna and say, because Anna, our, our um, co-host, is, uh, is sort of listening in the background there. Um, but um, I've got one very quick question for you also, Chris, before um, before we, we let you go. Um, are there any online resources that you guys have got as a national park that people can check out to learn a bit more about the heritage, the archaeology of your, your amazing national park? Yeah. Um, well, at the moment, our... Um our kind of digital kind of colleagues at the moment they're um that that kind of came up with this outdoors indoors social media campaign um which is something using kind of particularly twitter uh, and, and also facebook instagram um to bring that that national park the archaeology of the national park um and its landscapes kind of to, to the indoors so at one stage where we're actively discouraging people from physically coming but we want to encourage them to, to understand and to experience the park in a in a remote sense so you know personally you know or certainly in terms of my employers we're using a lot of social media uh, and a lot of um, kind of uh, blogs for example on websites um, particularly with our center the sill it's very much kind of now being a, a digital presence rather than a, 
a physical one um, as well. And and just um, just picking up that theme of resources. Um, uh, uh, again, as a parent, I'm really kind of heartened by the amount of online information that's there to kind of help us. That that is geared at history, archaeology, and, and and how museums are really stepping up their online presence for that. It's a real help for us as a parent. Well, I remember popping up to the, see you a few couple of years back and you had a great digital heritage exhibition on that was organised by Ed, Ed Hudspeth? Ed Hudspeth, yeah. Who's yeah. Um, your drone flyer. <laughs> he records a lot of your sites with uh, your Roman sites. He's your GIS officer, which I know Harry, Derek and myself can all appreciate. And um, also, he is the designer of the Korean Ruins logo. So um, there's a lot of great things coming out from your <laughs> national park. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. That, that being one of the greatest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Oh, Chris, thank you so much for joining um, joining us this, this afternoon. And um, feel free to hang around and listen to us chat to other people. Or um, mm. if you've got to get on, I'm sure you've got plenty of work to get on with, then, then do pop out. Thank you, Lawrence. I'm going to drop out and probably have a bit of lunch now, but um, really good to talk to you guys and look forward to listening to this, uh, listening to this on Monday. Yeah. All the best. Brilliant. Thank you, Chris. Thank you guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Anna, how are you doing? Do we have Anna? Oh, I don't think we have Anna. (laughs) We might've been, uh, she might've been waiting too long, but we do have another person sitting there waiting very patiently with a giant bookcase behind him. Miles, how are you? Miles, welcome. <laughs> Hi guys, you alright? Oh, very well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. That's quite alright. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We, we, it's, it's been a long year. <laughs> uh, so I should introduce you, Miles. Miles is one of my colleagues at Bournemouth University and I thought rather than make up an intro, I'd just use the first few sentences of your Wikipedia page by way of oh, introduction. Don't. <laughs> um, so Miles Russell is a British archaeologist best known for his work and publications on the prehistoric and Roman periods and for his appearances on television programmes such as Time Team and Harry Hill's TV Burp. <laughs> now, <laughs> the latter of the two there, I kind of, I think I need to know a bit more about that. <laughs> no, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a life goal for me. That was one of my favourite programmes ever. It, it, after appearing on that, I, I did actually get recognition from the guy in the off-licence and from most other people in the street, but nothing archaeological had ever ever impinged upon their consciousness. So, uh... <laughs> that is a, a clip I'll be immediately Googling into Don't. this time. <laughs> I, think, I think I have erased all copies now. <laughs> that sounds like a challenge. <laughs> oh, so how are you doing, Miles? How, how's this last year been for you? Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, uh, over sort of 12 calendar months has been fine. Uh, it's only the last sort of two that have been uh, it, intriguing, I guess, you know, as the weather improves and we've got those archaeology to actually go and do and not being able to do it is a, is a tad frustrating, but I guess most of it's been in the ground for thousands of years, so it'll still be there next year. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, the years, yeah, other than that, the year's been good. Lots of research, lots of uh, field work prior to the shutdown. So what's been your fieldwork highlight of the year so far? Oh. Fieldwork highlight, what, my, my, my personal highlight has been uh, yeah, excavating yeah. Uh, a Roman uh, mosaic, or at least a very small part of a Roman mosaic wow. uh, at Hampton, which is something which I, one of the things I'd never actually done before. I mean, admittedly, it was one <laughs> that's already been dug. It was yeah. dug in the 1700s, but it was... Small it'd details. Been back, <laughs> <laughs> it'd been backfilled and thought, 
thought it had been lost. So actually get the chance to, to clear the soil off that and to have a, a, a surface. I mean, we're so used, I guess, to finding surfaces and floors, but to find a decorated Roman mosaic floor and you think people have stood on this. This is something which uh, someone paid for and put into their house 2000 years ago. Was, was just incredible. Um, and there's the opportunity to go back and, and in fact, fact, if anything, we're supposed to be there in about a week's time if, if timetables Oh, wow. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that royalty have seen that floor as well? Uh, yes, indeed. Yes, uh, George IV was down there and uh, looking around and, and looking at the floor. It was actually exposed um, so he could see it, given something to do. And, and <laughs> excavated to the highest standards, shall we say, back back then. Um, but it was recorded, the actual floors recorded well. It was just to thought it was been destroyed afterwards. So it was just, just nice to go back there and say, actually, no, it wasn't destroyed. It is there. Uh, and the potential for looking at more of it is, you know, is, is still possible. And people, uh, this was, you were on Digging for Britain's Past, weren't you? Yes, indeed. Uh, thank you for noticing. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was one of those sites, I think. I mean, there's, it is comparatively rare to find mosaics these days given the level of sort of agricultural damage that's been done to those sort of sites to actually find a floor level still intact uh, was was amazing so digging for britain were very pleased to feed even though it's a very small piece <laughs> uh, digging for britain were, were very very pleased um, i mean it's part of our wider uh, iron age we'll leave, we've lost miles's sound oh, oh. you lost me that's okay <laughs> miles as it's Hill Vaults Wednesday on Twitter, on yes. Twitter, yeah, Absolutely. which is how I mean that's going been going for longer than a year now, hasn't it? It is, it is. I mean, that's a sort of a love letter to Hill Forts. We encourage everybody using that hashtag to put pictures of Hill Forts and research up, and it's uh, it's one of those sort of things which which yeah, it's, it's just nice to see, especially at the moment when we can't out get out and actually visit those sort of monuments. It's nice to see some decent. Yeah, it's pretty good. So um, we've we've got a time machine that we give people um, that come on the podcast free reign. You can have a return ticket. Um, And I'm guessing uh, this might be a bit presumptuous of me, but would you like to use it to go and visit any particular hill fort? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, any hill fort's good, but certainly Maiden Castle uh, and Hod Hill in Dorset. Uh, I mean, we, we did a geophysical survey of those and we've got a great idea of, of the range of houses that are in there. But of course, you don't know how much is being used at the same time. You don't know whether it's one big town, but no idea of the population, how many people are in there, what's going on. Just to see all the Iron Age houses lined up against the road and, and to, to get some sense of the sights, the smells, the noise, that would just be amazing. I mean, it put me out of a job, effectively. <laughs> you can keep it under your hat. You don't have to tell anyone. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, either Hard Hill or Maiden, I think any hill fort's good, but, but certainly to see those massive, impressive uh, Iron Age features, just to get an idea of the, the density of settlement inside there. I mean, to see those towns would be amazing. I, I think I'm with you there. Hill forts would be probably in my top three places to go if we had a time machine. And thankfully we do, and I've got unlimited tickets for myself, so I can go and see them all. <laughs> um, Lawrence and I were chatting earlier to Harry about um, archaeology in the media, particularly in film. And I know you've published a book on it in the past, and I was just wondering if you can, re- casting your mind back to 2002, if there's any obscure or niche references to archaeology in the movies that kind of stuck in your mind from when you were putting that book together. I think, I mean, it, it's just amazing how often archaeology does feature in, in movies, especially movies in the 50s and 60s. Uh, I mean, usually archaeologists are there just to serve a purpose. They're there to open the tomb and then die horribly um, in, in the first 10 minutes. 
Like it, it's, it's, I think it's always interesting how many also are, are power crazed madmen. Uh, it's usually men as well at that time. <laughs> there were very, a few women appearing as archaeology and archaeologists in the fifties and sixties, uh, which didn't sort of reflect what was really going on in the times. But most of them are deeply unsympathetic characters. Um, and I think it's interesting that in more recent times, certainly since the time of Indiana Jones, the archaeologist has become the hero. Uh, and that, <laughs> that, that's a good thing. I think even though they are still in the movies treasure hunting uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. reprehensible individuals, they, I think the, the nature of the, the actual archaeologist himself has moved from the bad guy to the good guy, but with bad elements to him. He's, he's sort of the lovable rogue. And I, I think that's... That's good, isn't it? Is that that's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you have a favourite a favourite favourite media archaeologist or fictional media archaeologist? I say. <laughs> um, y- yes, yes. Um, in the in the uh, in Pimpernel Smith. Oh God, I don't know who the character play. Um, the actual Professor Smith in that. The it's um, the actor. My brain's gone completely. But it's a 1940 movie and it's set sort of as an archaeologist, as a hero going into um, sort of, uh, Germany and Austria just before the Second World War. And he's retrieving um, scientists and uh, people who are going into, into camps and so on and, and bringing them back to Britain. And it shows the archaeologist. I mean, he's using archaeology as a cover, but he's very much uh, an heroic uh, individual, very much uh, uh, yeah, a, a good guy, and uh, doesn't use weapons as such, but uses his minds to mind and wit to defeat the Nazis. And I wish for the life of me I could remember. You, you're going to um, bombard me with references. Tell me who it is. I don't have my phone to hand. I can't remember. We'll, we'll, we'll look at which we'll out afterwards. <laughs> Pimpernel Smith. You've got to watch it. If you okay. Have yeah, yeah. I'll give that give that a watch for sure. So when all this, when all this um, current malarkey is over, Miles, what are you looking forward to getting out and doing? What's the first bit of field work you're going to tuck into? Um, getting out and, and certainly digging, uh, going back to, to Frampton would be nice to look at that villa. There's so much field, but certainly a lot of geophysical work that I'd like to do, uh, getting out there and, and get the sun. I mean, there's only so much of your own back garden uh, you can dig. Uh, <laughs> and it's, I, I realise now that... Um, Digging is probably about the only serious exercise I get. So not doing any means that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of starting to rock a Robinson Crusoe look now. Um, and uh, I really need to get out there and, and, and start moving some soil. But there are a number of villas and uh, quite a large INA settlement that I really want to, to get my teeth into fairly soon, if at all possible. So the past awaits. That's fantastic. And thank you very much for joining us, Miles. We're, we've got uh, Carenza waiting, waiting in the wings now. Um, and you're very, very welcome to stick around if you, if you want to, or you're welcome to, to go about your busy day. But we just wanted to thank you really for joining us and, and, and sharing, sharing that with us. Thank you and happy birthday. Oh, I look you. forward to next year. <laughs> hey, hopefully in person. Indeed, absolutely. Take care. So we're now joined by Professor Carenza Lewis. Oh yes, yeah. Thanks for joining us today, Carenza. How are you, how are you finding um, how are you finding lockdown and uh, these these particularly strange times? Yeah, yeah, madly, madly busy. So I work for university, so we had to do the sort of switch over to remote teaching, and then we had to do the switch over to working from home, which meant mastering the remote teaching on a different computer, um, and uh, you know all of that sort of thing. And uh, 
I've just started I've got two new projects starting, um, one of which was planned and one which wasn't. So um, plus I've got another European project which is running at the moment, which is being disrupted. So yeah, we're all madly busy, but you know, hey, the sun's shining and um, you know, I can see the people out the window, so life could be a lot worse. That's right. Oh, so have you had a particularly busy year? Yes, yeah, no, we're um, um, really busy. I've got this sort of, um, as, as you probably know, I have this sort of big uh, sort of program of test bit excavation in kind of rural villages, which I uh, ran for about 13 years, and that's just finished in 2018. Um, and so I'm just sort of starting to write that up, and I've just sent off a research paper on that on Sunday night at um, almost midnight. <laughs> um, and uh, but then last year we started a new project, which is looking at the sort of relationship between, well, sort of looking at the social benefits of test bit excavation by members of the public in medieval settlements um, in different countries. We've done lots of that in the UK um, and people really enjoy it and it delivers lots of different sorts of benefits that we've kind of assessed and that kind of, that all, you know, we have quite good data on that in the UK. Um, but we wanted to see if it worked similarly well for both archaeology and for members of the public in other countries. So we've got this running in the Netherlands, the Czech Republic and Poland. Um, wow. Moment. Well, not strictly speaking right at the moment because everyone's uh, in lockdown. It's a wonderfully, well, I say wonderfully, but it, it's interesting how it really brings people in different countries together, actually, because we're all going through the same thing. Absolutely. Um, and so, I, as you say, you've, you, you've got a quite a rich history in the, these, te- these test pitting projects. And actually, I've had a series of different placement students um, with me over the last five, six years. And one of the first ones was a chap called Jack Powell, who his first, he was saying to me his first experience was doing a test pit with yourself in, oh, um, in where is he, Norfolk, I believe. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So, Oh, fantastic. Oh, it's yeah. obviously reached out and hit a lot of, in, um, hit, it touched a lot of people's interests and it influenced a lot of um, current yeah, professionals as well. I think so. I mean, we had about seven or 8,000 kids through it, um, sort of all at that sort of age, 13, 14, 15. Um, you know, we were really targeting that age group, so often overlooked. You know, you get sort of, people do a lot of work at primary schools because they're quite easy to, kind of, you know, they're kind of, a stationary target you know you can get a primary school class quite easily and people do a lot of work with sixth formers because uh, if you're in a university sector they're sort of just about to apply to university but actually the kind of younger teenagers tend to get a bit overlooked and it's such a crucial time for sort of education and for making life decisions um, and you know we collected the most fabulous amount of data um, and you know just writing this paper up this kind of overview paper of it to go into the medieval seven research group report um, hopefully uh yeah it's just massive so the big work on the monograph will start now when i get a breathing moment <laughs> <laughs> the work never stops um, and so with the, with these funny times at the moment um us being locked down uh, do, do these represent challenges or opportunities with um research approaches such as this yeah well so well, the european project is obviously difficult it's, it's a shame because we got off to a really good start last year um, we've done work in sort of five different villages in the Netherlands and actually in, you know, outside the UK, the idea of members of the public actually taking part in archaeological excavation is just, it just hasn't happened. It doesn't, doesn't happen. It's, it's not even legally allowed in some countries. Um, and so what we're trying to do is, is show that it works safely. It doesn't damage the archaeology, it produces useful results and it helps rural communities. 
and the people who live in them. And you know, we we started really well in the Netherlands. We've got 17 test pits in one of the villages in the Czech Republic, a, a village in the Pol in, in Poland that actually had 25% of the population of the entire village got involved. So it was going really well. And um, people were getting to grips with how to overcome the, the difficulties of sort of getting permits and, and just introducing the whole idea. Um, and then, of course, it's all, you know, all, all field works had to be stopped right now because, um, you know, across all of Europe, everyone's in lockdown. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it's, it's been quite problematic. And as long as we can... Once the research councils have agreed to move the kind of project, they give us an extension of the project, it, it should be okay, assuming we can, you know, life goes back to something vaguely approaching normal later in the year or by next year. Um, but we then have to work with the research councils in four different countries. So Sorry, that's very boring, but it's, <laughs> so this is what my life is like at the moment. Um, we've got another project we're just starting with Historic England, looking at well-being in relation to sort of participation in heritage um, heritage mitigation projects and that sort of thing um, and uh, so yeah no all, all quite busy uh, really um, uh, yeah <laughs> and have you got so with with people being in lockdown have you got any tips or suggestions on um, things that people might be able to do or look at any any little nuggets of interesting information that you come across that you suggest people might want to go and look at well, there's some fantastic virtual tours of different places that I see on Twitter um, and uh, sort of access to museums and things like that, um, which she, people should seem to be making a real, real effort at. Though it's just slightly frustrating not being able to actually get at them, of course. But I actually think in some ways you can get more, you can get to see more places now than you can actually, um, you know, in normal times when you wouldn't go to some of these places. Um, but um, I mean, excavation is obviously difficult. You know, we had field work planned. I've still got, I've got some field work planned. Oh, June, beginning of June, um, just a couple of days digging test pits in Leicestershire. And whether that's going to happen or not, um, you know, we haven't cancelled it yet. Um, and I'm just desperately looking forward to the idea of getting out and, you know, being out and, and doing some digging and seeing some people and getting some, you know, new data. Um, and that would be great. So um, I think for most people, if, try and follow it. The, there's, there's a lot of archaeology on TV. So Time Team is um, uh, on all four at the moment. And in fact, there's a kind of Time Team Tea Time uh, uh, thing going on at the moment. Where oh, brilliant. Six, yeah, 6 p.m. on Sunday evenings. There's one particular program that the idea is everyone watches it together and there's a little sort of Q&A session afterwards which we film each day, um, each week um, with some of the sort of original early cast members. So last weekend it was Fligadwi, which I don't know if you remember it, but the one where it was the faked site where they always oh, yes. find them. So we did that one last week. Um, was that that the one with the dagger that was on top of the post with some barbed wire on? Or something yeah, like that's that? it. The lantern yeah. sword <laughs> sitting on top of some barbed wire. Uh, and this weekend, this Sunday, it's another one. I can't tell you which one, but it's a really, really good site. Oh, so where can um, people find more information about that? Is that on the Time Team website or yeah, Facebook? Time or? Team, yeah, if they go for the Time Team Twitter or the Time, Time Team Facebook page, it's mm -hmm. actually a good, good source for that. Um, okay, so that's great. Um, the great uh, story of England is being repeated as well so that's a series I did with Michael Wood um, that's being repeated on Tuesday evenings at I think 8pm I wouldn't put money on 
We'll, we'll share that on our Twitter account when we, yeah. when we get the full so details. that's been repeated as well and I think Great British Story might come out as well and that was about sort of doing archaeological research in one community and trying to sort of piece together it all and we did some test fitting as part of that with Mike as well so yeah, there is stuff coming out like that Brilliant. and then I've been working on my own new project as well oh. so um, you probably heard um, because it launched um, on uh, Thursday the 23rd um, we ran the first one uh, Thursday uh, Friday the 24th um, one of the things I've been working on is this big new project called Dig School um, which directly responds to the um, coronavirus crisis um, when they started shutting schools um, I was just sort of thinking, what, what what are they going to do with sort of, you know, the kids who are in school, um, particularly the teenagers who are in school, because their parents are key workers or maybe because they're, they're vulnerable. Um, you know, what, what are schools going to do with these sort of collapsed timetables to do something a bit engaging? And I was thinking, well, what, what can I do to help? Can I do anything to help? I mean, I'm no medic. I can't do anything like that. So we've developed uh, with the Council for British Archaeology, with funding from Historic England, this series of 20 workshops which people can download and actually do in class or at home, uh, sort of developing learning skills, thinking skills, sort of problem solving, uh, evidence-based arguments, critical thinking, um, using kind of archaeology as a theme for that. So that's what I've been working on for the last three weeks since uh, I came up with the idea, uh, mad scramble to get it ready um, uh, for the start of term, which of course uh, was on the uh, 21st of April. Um, uh, but I hope people will enjoy sort of just some fun learning, um, but in a way that really does develop skills and confidence about handling information and thinking about ideas and testing out your theories and being forensic about your use of data um, through archaeology. That sounds really, really interesting. And as someone with two kids who I'm desperately trying to homeschool and find interesting things to do with at the moment, it sounds so valuable. Is there anything the kind of wider archaeological community can do to support and help in this? Because I suppose there's a lot of people sitting at home at the moment. Well, um, the resources will be online. They'll be on the Council of British Archaeology website. Um, and that's, um, well, the, the website is um, digschool.org.uk. Um, and members of the public can follow along with that. They can even download some of it. Most of it's, uh, there's, each one has a sort of a talk from me, which sort of talks through what I'd normally do if I was talking to a, a class or a, a lecture room. Um, and, you know, you just stop and think about uh, the questions at various points, the sort of teacher guidance notes for each one, and a workbook for kids to go through. Um, but actually, I guess members of the public would involve it, enjoy it quite as well. There's always a bit of a puzzle. Um, and um, we will be probably, it's all supplied free at the moment. We've got a relatively small amount of money um, to just get the basic online stuff done. But the idea is that it'll build up eventually um, to kids being able to do excavation in their school grounds. And we still need to get some funding for that. So um, I'm not quite sure how we'll do that. We might need to go for a sort of GoFundMe thing or we might need to get another grant from somewhere. Um, but if people can just follow it and uh, spread the word, really. Super. I think um, anybody, you can tell anybody else about it, whether it's... Uh, staff in school or whether it's parents homeschooling um, we just want as many people to have the opportunity to do something that makes everybody's lives a bit more easier and a bit more fun 
Absolutely. What a fantastic pro project. Um, Karenza, thank you so much for joining us today. We've, we've got Mark Gillings patiently waiting to come in and join us uh, Sorry, <laughs> for the next section. But um, you're welcome to stay and, and chat further if you wish, but I appreciate you're very busy. But we'll be sure to share. I know, I know the links have been going around all over social media already, but we'll, we'll be sure to share that out further and um, and be pushing it throughout this, this lockdown period and afterwards. It's going to be a valuable resource. Um, come well, on. come back and, you know, when it's, it's we've got a bit further on with it and seeing how it goes and um be great to have a chat about it oh that's yeah well that's it because we were as, as as i said at the beginning of this uh, podcast we i'd actually arranged to meet meet up with you um what, next month in a, in a week's time i think or not or was it this no it's, no, it's the end it? of march it was i remember march last month yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. i remember the discussion when it was mm, gosh do you think that conference is going to be able to go ahead and you know and, and now it it was kind of what was it March 20th I think it was I think that's the 21st. one yeah it was the landscape survey group wasn't it but yeah it was one of the first things that got cancelled mm. now of course everything's cancelled until God that's right as part of conference I have at the beginning of September end of August beginning of September European Archaeological Association that's just been cancelled mm. as, as a face-to-face -face thing mm, what yeah. a shame but I mean hopefully that will be rearranged and we can meet in person and actually do a proper career and ruins um, interview with you as well but thank you so much for your time today Brilliant. Okay. Have a good birthday. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye. Mark. Um, hi, Mark. Welcome. It's good to see you again. <laughs> hi, uh, hold on. Let me, yeah, you've unmuted me, haven't you? Yeah. Welcome yeah. back. We can't, you can't be trusted. We have you muted before you come <laughs> in. guys, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to Career and Ruins. So yeah. by, by way of introductions, um, rather than just describe you as my boss, um, <laughs> I, thought I'd, I thought I'd dig out the best um, summary of your, your life I could find on the internet, which is a, uh, <laughs> an about the author section I found on Amazon all about you. Um, so Mark Gillings is a professor of archaeology at the Department of Archaeology and Anthropology at Bournemouth University. His research interests concentrate upon the productive spaces that emerge through the integrated study of landscape, archaeological theory and digital archaeology with a further focus upon the potentials of all things geospatial and virtual. Yeah. That's nice to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was on fire when I wrote that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> what, what can one say really? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lesson in hubris I think in this <laughs> and uh, unintelligibility but uh, but yeah, yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up, Derek, yeah. So Mark, you've been, um, you, how, you've relatively recently started as head of department at Bournemouth University, so you're Professor Mark Gillings of Bournemouth University, is that right? It is indeed, yeah. How long have you been there now? Uh, I started on the 1st of November. 1st of November. <laughs> it's been a wild ride ever since. <laughs> I'm not going to ask how it's going. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what, what Derek doesn't know is that we're actually going to give him his end of year review now. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it's well overdue, mate. Well overdue. <laughs> Um, but so where um, coronavirus not to have taken place, um, you've got some pretty interesting field work that should be taking place at the moment or in the coming months. Do you want to fancy giving us a quick overview of that? Yeah, yeah. We would um, be sitting in a field in Wiltshire at the moment if, if it were not for COVID-19. Um, and we were, yeah, we were supposed to be digging some uh, lithic scatters up and around Avery this Easter. Um, and then digging more lithic scatters in the summer as the final season of that Living with Monuments project, um, which is based in the landscape around April. So, so yeah, we had quite a lot of fieldwork planned for Easter and summer, but now it's uh, 
And so how many years have you, has that project been running now? Oh, God. Um, the project has been... <laughs> what a good question. It's been running <laughs> for... It seems like a lifetime, but it, it's been about four years now. Four years. Okay. Um, and the rough number of lithics that you've been identifying? God, you're, you're asking the wrong member of the team. I know um, Ben and Josh's eyes roll into the back of their heads. Um, we're pulling, out, pulling around 40,000 per season. Um, of, wow. Um, which is pretty, yeah, it's a staggering amount of stuff. Um, and that's from all prehistoric time periods, or are you focusing particularly on a on the Mesolithic, Neolithic? It's, yeah, I mean, we're looking at the Middle Neolithic, but the, 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 the flint we're hoying out is sort of late Meso through to Bronze Age, so um, all sorts of stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm not really the, uh, the lithic specialist in the project, as Ben and Josh will, t- <laughs> will tell you. So I just go, wow, and shuffle it around. And uh, what's this, Joshy? But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're generating a huge amount of material. And, um, but it's, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Amazing. Um, so uh, I, I know you've had a few listens to our blog so far. And, uh, <laughs> and so you'll, you'll, you'll know already that we have a, um, a reoccurring question that we ask all participants. And that is that Derek and I have made a time machine. Mm-hmm. And it works. And anyone that takes place in the podcast is allowed a free return trip. So um, as the last guest of today and our last guest of our first year of Career in Ruins, um, where would you like to take our time, our time machine? Oh, that, that was a killer, really. Um, I was torn um, between three destinations and I couldn't make my mind up. Um, so if I, I give you all three, you can, you can choose for me. Does that sound all right? Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, the first is 300 years to, into the future, um, just to find out what's going on, really. Um, see what the, I don't know, the uh, PlayStation 27 looks like. And yeah, you know, given I spend all my working days looking at the past, I'm, I'm just desperately, desperately curious about what happens next. So, so the first one is pretty much any time in the future, post 300 years from now. Um, what, what do you think you might see? I don't know. I don't know. That's the whole joy of doing it. It's absolutely, uh, it's fantastic. Um, but I, what I'd like to see is Arsenal crowned uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the 47th year running. That would be- <laughs> yeah. Another year uh, 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 invincibles from yeah. 2021 Unbeaten. onwards. Unbeaten since 2120. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, no idea. And it's, it's not knowing what you're going to see. Is, is makes, it kind of makes that one uh, real, yeah, really intriguing. But presuming you guys are going to hold me to going back into the past and looking at some old stuff, um, I couldn't make my mind up between the 1st of September 1663 and the 17th of April 1906. They were the two. So I'll let you choose which one you want. I think it's fair to say those are two of the most specific dates we've ever had in the time machine. <laughs> so, the time machine's a quality piece of work, Derek. None of this is <laughs> minus two. <laughs> So what, what draws you to those two dates, Mark? Well, the, the September 1663, I could help John Aubrey with his plane table survey of Aubrey um, and finally get to see what it looked like before not all of the trashing, but quite a lot of the trashing took place. And um, yeah, just that would be just intriguing, really, to, to mope around hiding behind walls, peeking at him as he was uh, frantically surveying. So that would be quite good. Um, the April 17th, 1906, day before the, um, the San Francisco earthquake, 
and that will be to visit the Winchester House in San Jose um, before it was tumbled to the ground. So um, that would, yeah, just an opportunity to see something truly immensely bizarre and spatially confused. I don't think I know the Winchester House. Can you give us a bit more background on that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say Google it, but um, <laughs> it's well worth a Google. But it's AFGI. The, yeah. <laughs> um, it's the heiress of the Winchester gun um, fortune who uh, started to build a house and stories vary as to what happened next, but she basically didn't stop building um, and carried on building and building and building, 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 building. And the Winchester house just grew as this organic emergent thing over seven stories with staircases that just went into ceilings with doors that opened onto nothing. And it's a crazy mashup kind of spatial mess, but um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But most of it came down in the earthquake. So to see it in its full rampant glory would be absolutely fantastic. Mm, that's, uh, I, Lawrence hates it when I do this, but I, I think I'm going to let you have two tickets. Hey. Uh, it's birthday, it's birthday, that's it's, yeah, fine. But, yeah, we can chuck him out. We've already given another Chloe one as well. <laughs> no, um, both, both superb, superb answers. Thank you very, very much for joining us, Mark. Absolutely. Really appreciated it. Um, and it's, it's, it's nice to talk to you about something that isn't spreadsheets on Zoom. <laughs> it's a real treat. <laughs> People are going to tell us all I talk about. It's all Derek, look, I've got a new chart. Um, <laughs> at my table and all that kind of stuff but, but yeah that doesn't sound like Derek <laughs> Mark thank you for your time today and thank you for joining us Careerans we'll get you for a proper interview at some point in the not too distant future no problem at all happy birthday chaps thank you thank you very much so ends a uh, really interesting hour and a bit yeah I mean I, I, I've I thoroughly enjoyed this last hour and I must admit I'm blown away that my terrible rural 4G internet has lasted this long. Um, it's possibly the longest continuous connection I've ever had to the internet, so I'm very pleased. Hopefully you can hear some of this. <laughs> um, You've been clear as day to me. Hey, excellent. But now what a lovely time, really nice guests, really, really good interviews. It's wet my appetite for year two, to be honest. That's it. I, I quite like the idea of having multiple people in interviews going forwards. Yeah, it was, it was really good fun. Um, and I, yeah, just just line them up. Let's mm -hmm. just get get through the world of archaeology. <laughs> That's right. I think there's a few thanks to the, to a few to go out to people um, for over the last year or so. So everyone that's taken part in in all the episodes it wouldn't have been possible without our fantastic participants our experts our uh, our legendary yeah, archaeologists and heritage experts so thank you to everyone that's taken part in the last 22 episodes including today's um we've had some great support from the council for british archaeologists who have helped sponsor a few episodes which mm -hmm. help us to make these these episodes um because we we do fund them ourselves we do pay um, for everything so it's amazing to get external support from them and, and support their events um, we have had one patreon payment which is i feel terrible this person did it back in um august 2019 and we completely omitted to thank this individual so karen hackinson hackinson h-a-k-a-n-s-o-n -S 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 
She um, donated money to our Patreon account, um, which kicked us off, and uh, that is hugely, hugely welcome. So thank you, Karen, for that. And um, anyone that wants to, to consider supporting quality for quality or providing content for content, then do visit our website where there's a link to our Patreon account because we, we'd appreciate any donations. As, as I say, we, we, we do this on a bit of a shoestring and um, we're funding it ourselves. But um, we also have had great support from people like Ed, who designed the logo for us, um, Dan Pringle, who's set us up with um, a recording studio and our link to our sound guy, Guy, who's a sound guy. And huge thanks to our sound guy, Guy, who's a sound guy, because he's done an amazing job on a, a bit of a shoestring for the last year. And um, he makes it all a reality and he makes some of our fantastic theme tunes, uh, the theme tune we've got at the beginning. He made the... Um, Monu Trump's theme tune he made. Did he make the, what's that sound? Or was that you, Derek? No, that was me, me messing around on my phone. <laughs> he shook his head when he heard the, uh, what's that sound theme tune. <laughs> Much like he does with all the audio and presenting. <laughs> yeah. But a huge thanks to Guy, because it wouldn't be possible without him. And, no, uh, he's been an absolute hero. And finally, just thank you to everyone that has listened to any episode um, or every episode uh, I think when we sat down, we, we'd mentioned at the start of this podcast, we sat down and we thought about making a podcast and we were happy with 500 listens. So mm. to get 5,000 listens is just way beyond anything we were expecting. And um, it, it's those listens that make us want to do it. It's those listens that make us want to um, to spend our own time and money producing these things because we love doing it, but it wouldn't be as fun if no one was listening to our absolute guff. So it really exactly. sort of, um, ratifies our hard work and our enthusiasm. So thank you everybody for listening. Yeah. Every single one of those listens just means the world to us. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for the likes um, on iTunes. Just, just thank you really. It's been a, a joy to make. And as long as people keep listening, we'll keep doing our best to, to kick them out whenever we can. Mm, that's it but otherwise i think that's it for today um do check out our facebook page do check out our twitter do check out our instagram i'll be honest the twitter's the most interesting one because we never get around to putting anything on the other <laughs> but um do check them out <laughs> yeah yeah and that's uh this has been our birthday let's go on to year two yay cheerio bye <laughs>